0: All right. Good evening, everybody. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to look at the first 22 verses tonight. Remember last week, Len, when he, Pastor Len, when he shared with us about the lampstand, about the uh, bread for the tabernacle, about punishment for blasphemy, and an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, and all that, said how it was communal, They were to do all of those things together. They were to all provide oil. They were all to provide for the bread. And they were all to participate in dulling out justice. It was a communal thing. That theme is continued in chapter 25, uh, where the idea of a Sabbath rest and a year of jubilee is to be for the community. God cares greatly about community. God cares greatly about fellowship. That's one of the reasons we stress here, the fellowship, being part of the fellowship, being involved with the church because it is God's institution, of which, one of which the ways in which we grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. So tonight's title is A Sabbath Rest, A Sabbath Rest. I ask you to stand with me as we read from God's holy, life-giving word. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you that you are a rock and our redeemer. We thank you that you rose and sin and death are conquered. And Lord, may all that we say and all that we do bring glory to your name. We ask, Lord God, now that we would listen to the glory of God. we would hear your voice speaking to us, that we would be encouraged and strengthened through the hearing of your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ we ask these things. Amen. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you the land you shall the land shall keep a sabbath to the Lord for 6 years you shall sow your field and for 6 years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits but in the 7th year there shall be a sabbath a solemn rest for the la- land a sabbath to the Lord you shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard you shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself, and for your male and female slaves, and for your hide worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the 7th month on the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all the land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants it shall be for it shall be a jubilee for you When each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows itself "...or nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In the year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the jubilee, and he shall sell it to you according to the numbers of the year of, for crops." If the years are many, you shall increase the price. And if the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is the number of crops that he is selling you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say... What shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not grow, if we may not sow or gather in our crops? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We notice right away it says... In verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was during those 40 days, if you remember, going back to our time in Exodus, that Moses was on Mount Sinai, that the Lord gave to Moses the blueprint for the tabernacle and all the law of the Lord, all the law of the Lord. The Sabbath and the Jubilee are part of the law of the Lord. The Lord did not just give Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Those were a summary of the law of the Lord. He gave all kinds of laws on Mount Sinai. He says, speak to the people, verse 2, and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, you shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. You might be saying, you imagine meeting people, that are just like, how many Sabbaths we got to keep? Man, we got a Sabbath for this, a Sabbath for that, a Sabbath. Man, are we ever, you know? These Sabbath laws is to speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, you shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. So these Sabbath laws were given prior to the children of Israel inheriting the promised land given to Abraham. God, in his steadfast love for them, was instructing them on what they were to do when they finally obtained possession of their inheritance. God's letting you know, hey, when you get here, and by the fact that he's telling them, when you get there, do this, inherent is that is the promise that I'm going to get you there. I want you to do this when you get there. That means you're going to get there. Same applies for us. All the promises of Scripture, all the commands of Scripture are a guarantee for us because Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you and I will come back and bring you to myself. Alan Ross, in his commentary, I think it's just a great commentary on the book of Leviticus, writes this about the Sabbath and the Jubilee. He says, The provision of of the Sabbath year was intended to provide the Israelites with the hope of a future time of prolonged rest and release from debts. People may have labored year in and year out, but they knew that a time of relief was coming. Without such a prospect, the people would have despaired. One purpose of the laws concerning the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year was to prevent prevent the formation of a class of rich landowners and the ruin of their debtors. These times were designed to give people a time of refreshment, a periodic fresh start, to wipe the slate clean at least once in a person's lifetime. Isn't that great of God? At least once in your life, you know, everything's gonna be made right. In the text for today, I see a few things. I see first that God is generous. God is generous. Any of us dispute that God is generous? Anybody found God to be stingy? God to be holding back? All right, let's move to the next point. No, I'm kidding. God is generous. And this, of course, goes under the assumption that they know that everything they have belongs to God anyways. It's all on loan from God. That's the assumption they have. This is the Lord's, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. I, the Lord, own a cattle on how many hills? A thousand hills, which he means all the hills. All the cattle are mine. The gold is mine. The silver is mine. Everything belongs to God. And everything we have is on loan from God. And so when God gives instructions about what he gives, we need to follow it. God is generous. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. That's generous, six years. God is being so good. This, you know, this is an echo of the fourth commandment, by the way. It's an echo of the fourth commandment about Sabbath rest. Six days, Exodus 20, it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. As the people were to have a rest, God said also the land itself was to have a Sabbath rest. It just shows you God really cares about his creation, all of his creation. They were to work hard for six years, reaping and sowing and reaping. They were to give the first fruits as God commanded them at each harvest to bring to the Lord to acknowledge that God, you bless us. God, this belongs to you. Thank you for providing for us. But every seventh year, the entire nation was to show that they trust God to provide for them by not sowing and by not harvesting the land or the vine for an entire year, or really a harvest season. For one year, the seventh year, they were not to work the land. They were just to let it go, and whatever grew is what grew, and that's what God provided. That's what it says in verses 4 and 5. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, Right? Notice how God puts the word solemn rest in there. He could have just said a Sabbath rest, but it's a solemn rest. It is a, look at what he says, a Sabbath to the Lord. God's really saying, this is my Sabbath. This is a Sabbath for me. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. As I said, it was to be a Sabbath year to the Lord and solemn rest for the land. It was a year in which they were to fully trust God to provide for them. Kenneth Matthews, in his commentary, writes this. The Sabbath year enabled the varying members of society whether rich or poor, to enjoy the produce of the land on equal standing. Equal standing. Everybody could take. God had already commanded them to care for the poor by not harvesting the edge of their fields so that the poor could collect what was left. Here, the command is not to cultivate, prune, or harvest at all. It's, it's an expansion of the command uh, uh, that God gave at Sinai in Exodus 23, verses 10 to 11. It says this, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let, the, let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall, you shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard." God was already built in this provision. This is should be this command should not have taken them by surprise because he already said it in Exodus. But God said one year you're not going to reap, you're not going to sow and you're not going to reap. Whatever grows is what you're going to get. And that may seem daunting because Well, it takes a lot of work to maintain a field. It takes a lot of work to maintain a vineyard or grapevines. You have to tend them so they produce the optimal amount. And now they're just not doing anything. But they are doing something. They're trusting God. They're trusting the one who made the field, who made the plant, who made the vineyard, who made the olive tree. They're trusting Him to say, you can make it work. And that's exactly what they're doing. And God promised that He was going to make sure that they had more than enough. Look at what He says in verses 6 and 7. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you. If you're worried if you're going to eat this one year, don't worry about it, because it's going to provide food for you, for yourself. And for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and for the sojourner who lives within you. And for your cattle, and now he adds another category, and for the wild animals that are in the land. All its yield shall be for food. In trusting God to provide for them by not cultivating, by not harvesting, by not pruning the grapevine or the olive tree, God promised that He would give more than enough. And this command was meant to teach them two things, I believe. Number one, that God owns the earth. God says, everything is mine. And number two, that they were to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, not by bread alone. If they trusted God in this, He promised that He would show Himself to be more than generous. Alan Ross states it this way. The Sabbath year reminded them that the land was not their land, but God's. And they had the responsibility to ensure that all people shared in the bounty. There's the equal footing. The poor and the rich alike can go into the field and get what they needed, or to the vineyard or to the olive grove. It taught people that they had to trust the Lord's provision during the year in which they could not work the fields. And it gave them an opportunity to pursue spiritual, social, and civic obligations more fully. God said, this is what I want you to do. This is what you are to do when you go into the promised land. Six years, you work. Seventh year, you're off. It's going to grow. It's going to produce. And it's going to take care for you. And God graciously warned them. You know, when we see a warning in Scripture, just as an aside, when we see God telling us not to do something, never look at it as God, going, God taking something away. It's a grace of God to be told not what not to do. God is, being, God is saying, I don't want you to go into error. I don't want you to go off into something of which you will regret. God graciously warned the children of Israel. That if you do not follow this command, if you do not keep this Sabbath rest, if you fail to obey me, this is what I'm going to do. And it's found in chapter 26, verses 33 and 35. And I will scatter you. That's if they fail to do the Sabbath for the land. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you. Holy mackerel, right? And your land shall be a desolation, and your city shall be a waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its sabbath. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. You think God was serious about what He says? God is always serious about what He says. However, it seems that Israel failed to keep these commands. They did not let the land have a solemn rest every seventh year. And you know what God did? God kept His word. God always keeps His word. The children of Israel. The children of Israel have been taken out by Assyria. They've been long gone. The children of Judah are now the southern kingdom are here. Judah and Benjamin, to be exact, are still in the land. In comes the Babylonians. They come, they haul them off, and that's where we get Daniel and all of that stuff. They're hauled off because they did not obey the command of a Sabbath rest for the land once every seven years. We read this in 7, 2 Chronicles 36, 20, 21. It says, the reason why this happened was to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. All the days that it lay desolate, to keep it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Loved ones, the lessons we take from that, God is serious about what He says. God is serious about obedience. The good thing is that when they returned to their homeland 70 years later, under the leadership of Nehemiah, you know what one thing they said they were going to be quick to do? Obey the Sabbath rule, right? We learned our lesson. Nehemiah 10:31 says this, "And if the people of the land bring goods, bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. That's in other words, we're not going to do work on the Sabbath day itself, the weekly Sabbath, and look at what they said. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. They were to give a Sabbath rest, a solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord every seventh year. On top of that Sabbath rest for the land every seven years, they were also not to cultivate, prune, or harvest every 50th year. God calls it the year of Jubilee. It is a year in which God makes all things right, a time where God gives hope. And and that's what I see next. God gives hope now and for the future. The word jubilee, yobel, it means trumpet or ram's horn. Alan Ross, again in his commentary, writes this, but the jubilee year was the crowning point of all the festive occasions because of its length and its impact it was a time of release from bondage of all that were oppressed enslaved or bound thus it was another festival of freedom not one that commemorated any historical deliverance in the past but one that looked forward to the future one that looked forward to the future Verse 8 says, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of seven years shall give you 49 years. So they count seven times seven. That's all good. The, The year after the 49th was the year of Jubilee in which they would not produce crops. They wouldn't sow. They wouldn't reap. But on the beginning of that time of which they would not sow or reap, God says this, verse 9, then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the 7th month on the day of atonement. That is so significant that it's on the day of atonement. You shall not sound the trumpet. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And when they do that, verse 10 says this, they are to do... Four different things. You shall consecrate the 50th year. It's to be a special and set-apart year. They are to proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. So what's going on here? You shall proclaim liberty throughout the land. To all his inhabitants. Remember that if you were in in debt in that time, you would sell your assets to get out of debt. And if you owned land, you would sell your land. And now you become indebted. You have no land, you have no inheritance, right, even to give to your kids, and you were indebted to somebody else. On the 50th year, and that's why he said earlier that perhaps once in somebody's life, the slate was wiped clean, you know, with my luck, it would be like the year before I die, right? But it'd still be a year, right, that God gave you this, this, this to start with. And there's no such thing as luck. God forgive me. You know, God's sovereign providence, it would be. Um, <clears throat> proclaim liberty. All debts would be canceled. All debts would be canceled. If you had to sell your property, it was given back to you. You were to go back, and he said, you shall return to each of you, shall return to his property, and you shall return to your clan. Go back to your families. You no longer belong to somebody else because you had to sell even yourself to somebody. Everybody was put back on equal setting. And therefore, there could be no, today's modern language, monopolies of farms or owners or this. Um, Everything was made right. They were not to sow or reap, as it says in verse 11, the 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. Verses 12 and 13. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. This was a holy year. It was a year that was set apart by God. You may eat the produce of the field, In the year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. You know, there was times throughout the year when we get there, we'll talk about a kinsman redeemer. You could buy back property. Um, But this was a time in which that didn't have to be done. It was commanded by God, you cancel debts, and you give back property. But if you were in the process of selling your property... that's a different thing. And God makes provision for that. And I see this as God cares about the attitude of our hearts. God cares about the attitudes of our hearts. Listen to what he says in verses 14 to 17. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong wrong one another. So listen, if you sold your land, if you made a financial transaction and you sold your land, you didn't get that back. It was only if you had to sell your property and sell yourself. That you got back, right, out of being in debt. But if you made a sale, if I sold my truck to Sean, which he would love to have because it's just an awesome truck, right, and um, the 50th of the year comes, I don't get my truck back. I don't get my truck back. But if you're going to sell... Well, I guess it actually can be because you shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years of the Jubilee and he shall sell to you according to the number of years of crops. In other words, somehow you're gonna, this property is going to change hands at the 50th year. So I actually jumped ahead of myself, so I apologize. So it's going to be given back. everything's going to be equal. And so you got five years to Jubilee. You, you, you don't jack up the price. You lower the price. Right? If the years are many, you shall increase the price, and if the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is it is the number of crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord your God. In other words, if you're gonna sell and you got time coming, you, you knew there's a time where it's gonna change hands, it's gonna come back. Don't try to inflate the price. Don't try to take advantage of one another, because you can. Don't jack up the price because you know it's just going to go back in another year or two. God says, don't do that. God cares about the attitude of our hearts. He cares about what's right and fair and just and true because that's how God is with us. And so we are to be with each other. And we see that God blesses obedience. Verses 18 and 19. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and Perform them. Then you will dwell in the land securely. Remember the promise he made. If you don't do it, I'm going to take you out of the land. You won't be in the land. But if you do them, you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. Over and over, God is saying, if you obey me, you're going to be secure and you're going to have more than enough. You obey me, you'll be secure, and you'll have more than enough. That principle still stands today. But we also see that God reassures his people. If you were doing math, and I would imagine with the numbers given today, probably one person in our congregation was doing some math numbers. I could be wrong, but probably. But if you were counting, you would realize that every 7th year and then every 49th year that at the year of Jubilee, there were how many years in which you could not sow or reap? How many, sir? Two, right? The 49th and the 50th year, you weren't to sow your crops. You had a Sabbath year, and then you had the year of Jubilee. Now think about that. Two years, every 50 years, two years in which you are not the plant, You are not to sow and you're not to reap. This is a people, an agrarian society. They lived off the crops, right? That's a daunting task. It's hard enough to do it one year. Do it two years in a row? Once every 50 years? That's a lot. Two consecutive years in which they would not sow or reap. Imagine you being the farmer. What would that do to you financially? Right? Not no other trades were told to take a Sabbath year. The herdsman wasn't told, don't take care of your flocks for a year. The guy who works leather wasn't told stop for a year. Only the one who produces a crop was. That's a daunting task for, right? It's a man, I don't want to be a farmer because look what God's going to do to me. Oh, God's going to bless you. God reassures people in this. God promised that He would bless them. God reassures that He would provide for them. Look at what it says in verses 20 to 22. And if you say, you know, how empathetic, how sympathetic is God with us? He knows what we would say. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? You know, that's not a, that's. not God's not upset at that question. God doesn't sit there and go, what's wrong with you? I told you you'd be secure. I told you you'd have enough. I don't know why on this question... God doesn't get upset, but when old Zechariah asks, how can I have a child in my old age? God gets mad. God gets upset. It seemed to be a logical question, but he says, because I told you, you're going to have, that's why. But God tells him, if you have this. But actually, they don't ask the question. God asks the question. God says, if you were to say this, so before you say it, I'm going to say it for you. If you wonder about what you're going to eat, In the seventh year, he says this, I will command my blessing. In other words, I'm going to command it, it's going to happen, it's going to go forth. Once I command it, it's not going to be stopped. I will command my blessing on you in the seventh year, in the sixth year, in the sixth year, So that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. Well, there you go. Now you count for two years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crops arrive. When its crop arrives. God reassures us. Does he not, loved ones? when we're worried about what's going to happen, when we're worried about the situation, when it seems impossible, when it seems, man, oh, I don't, who's, what's going to happen here? God reassures us. When it seems absolutely impossible, if we go with our concerns to the Lord, He'll reassure our hearts. You know, I think of Hezekiah. Sennacherib was surrounding Jerusalem. It was over. If you remember, his general goes to the people and he begins to talk to them and they say, whose God has been able to stop me? The God of the hills? Nope. The God of the plains? Nope. No God has been able to stop me. I've come in. I've leveled everybody. And Hezekiah goes into the Lord. He opens up the letter before the Lord and he says, you know what, God? It's true. Nobody stopped him. And he brought his concern to God. He said, God, it seems impossible. And what did God do for Hezekiah? Hezekiah, you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow, what was $10 is going to be $2. You're going to have more than enough tomorrow for years to come. And what happened that night? God went out and he slaughtered 158,000 of the Assyrians and then you got these lepers out there who are outside the gate saying, what should we do? Let's just go surrender. If we live, we live. If we die, we die. We're gonna, you know, if we don't do nothing, we're going to die. And they go out there and they find the, the camp empty. They, they find them all dead and they begin to take and plunder. And they said, this isn't right. Let's go back to the city. And you know what? God's word was fulfilled. And the people ate of their plenty. It's the same for us. When the odds seem impossible, seem impossible, when we don't know what we can do, when we don't know if we seek to obey God, do what He says, He promises that He will provide and He will cause us to be secure. But there's another lesson, I think, that is here for us. And I think it has to do with being on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, that wasn't the first day of the Jewish calendar. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the Jewish calendar. The Day of Atonement is not. But on the Day of Atonement, the year of Jubilee was to be proclaimed. And what happened? All debts were canceled. Everything was made right. What happens to us when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness of sins? What happens? Everything's wiped clean, right? The slate is wiped clean for us. The Jews were hoping for it to happen at least once in their lifetime. You know how often the the slate can be wiped clean for us? Every time we ask. Every time we ask God, would you wipe the slate clean? I have sinned. I am sorry. Would you forgive me? He will wipe the slate clean. And I think the writer of Hebrews has something for us to say here about the rest that we are to have in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 11. There, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What? He talks about the disobedience of the children of Israel. God said, go into the promised land. They said, oh, no, we can't. They're too big for us. There's no way we can take it. Those died in the desert. We know the story except for Joshua and Caleb. They did not enter the rest of the promised land. God has given us a promise. God has given us a rest. God says not to fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know how we have the rest of God today, the peace of God today, the security of God today? It's through obedience, through faith and obedience. Look at what he says next. We quoted this this morning. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the the intentions of the heart. You want to have rest? You want to have peace and security? You're troubled about something? You're worried about provision? Open up the word of God. Let the word of God... Which is living and active, pierce your thoughts, the intents of your heart. The writer of Colossians would tell us to do two things let the peace of Christ dwell in you, and let the word of Christ, the word of God, dwell in you. Do we let those two things happen? If they would obey God, if they say, you know what, we're not going to sow and reap on the the seventh year, and we're not going to sow and reap on the year of Jubilee, even though that's two years in a row, we're going to trust God, God promised you'll have rest by simple obedience, right? And repentance and returning is your rest, the prophet says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Isn't it better off to set yourself up so that you don't have to give an account? Do what God says now, and you don't have to worry about it later. Right? It's just a simple thing. And that's exactly what God said to them. If you do this, you'll have rest and you'll have plenty. The same with us. But as we get in next uh, two weeks from now into the year of Jubilee, we also know that it points to the greater rest of heaven itself, of being in the promised land of which we look forward to. Well, I hope you understood it. I hope you get a lot out of it um, <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there is a rest for us. And may, Lord, you help us to strive to enter your rest. May we strive, no matter what the cost for us would be, that we would strive to enter your rest, that we would seek to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, that we would be firm and secure in our trust in you because you are trustworthy. You are faithful. Lord, help us in these things for the glory of Christ we ask it. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song.
1: All right. I ask that you would get your hymnals. Uh, We're going to open up to page 704. God will make a way, and we'll sing that twice. 704. And then uh, put your finger... On 107, we'll sing another chorus, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. And we'll sing that twice as well. As I'm telling you that, I'll do it too. All right. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. 107. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises i'm so glad you're in my life i'm so glad you came to save us you came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross my debt to pay from the cross to the grave From the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. Amen.